It's Friday, February 15th, 2019, and you're listening to episode 506 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 51 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name's Chad. So, one announcement. There is a writing project going on right now. Right this second. Actually, it is. (laughs) And it's up on Kickstarter. While this is not a Fear the Boot project, there are a bunch of people from Fear the Boot that are involved in it, uh, including our host, Johan. I know there's several listeners that are contributing to it. Churcher. Mm-hmm. Go to church to play Traveler. He's run, right. He's uh, writing for it. Mikey Mason's in there. And uh, Jason Brick is the guy who's heading it up. He did some of the previous flash fiction books that, like Wayne and I, were involved in. And this Actually, is, wasn't any of the flash fiction ones. Oh, you weren't? No. But I did back this one. And one of the things is I posted out to Facebook to let everyone see. First post to Facebook I have made in probably a year yeah. was to support the project. And as I pointed out, at this point, I'm really jaded on uh, Kickstarter. But this is a guy that has a track record. This is the third book. So you know he's going to get it done. Already has all of the writers have submitted their stories. So, you know, there's no problem getting the writers in there. Yeah, that's why I'm not in it. (laughs) He uh, shot me a message asking if I wanted to contribute. And as everyone knows, I've been going through some stuff. And so we just wasn't quite in the headspace. And when I got to respond to the message, which it wasn't like months, though, like I just let that one sit there and bake. It was already closed. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I guess I'm not in this one. Yeah, I tend to really like flash fiction because I don't have a lot of free time and you can get little chunks of story at a time. And as Chad pointed out to me, it would be great to read on the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually measure the book in poops. And, <laughs> and I think this book... A hundred poops. Yeah, I think this book, yeah, it's like a hundred poops. Well, a hundred yeah. normal poops. Not like, you know, chilly night. No, no. Okay. No, if, if you've got the rare North American bowl winding toilet cracker... <laughs> like Broder's had a few times when he comes over. <laughs> so anyway, if you are interested in backing that project, which I hope you are, because... There are a lot of good people involved in it, even if not the greatest people involved in it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it is some people that are really, really awesome. Jason is a great guy. Yeah. Uh, so I'll link to that Kickstarter in the show notes. Take a look at it and, you know, do your thing. He's our, one bad hombre, too. Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. He, he had an interesting story told me about how he got his black belt. The things that he had to go through to get to, to kill a man. No, well, it was, it's kind of interesting because... He didn't have to. He wanted to. <laughs> it was the opposite. Like He didn't want to kill a man, the, but he did In anyway. addition to demonstrating his skill with the martial art, mm-hmm. the sensei made him do certain things in other areas of his life. Like, to get the belt, he didn't just have to show he could do the moves. He also required him to meet certain personal goals. Mm. I don't remember all of them, but one of them was he had to come up with a list of like relationships in his life to try and heal. Hmm. And it was all these steps of personal improvement, like, you know, the whole self, the holistic approach to this. It wasn't just chopping boards in half or whatever, hmm. you know. Was, all right, so our topic for today comes from Wendell Burke, who sent this to Chad on Discord. And if you don't have Fear the Boots, a Discord channel, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And the Destiny 2 clan, still going strong, by the way. Yeah, you can find that also on the 
Discord chat thing. But and if you're antisocial like me, you'll ignore all of that. Yeah, which is why I get the messages. Yeah, yep, precisely. Because- this is why. Chad is my unpaid secretary. If, if Fear <laughs> the Boots Patreon ever does well enough for me to contract on 1099 a second person, mm-hmm. it's going to be Chad as my contracted secretary. I answered a goddamn message for you today. You don't even know about it yet. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Actually, I don't. <laughs> I know you don't. <laughs> So, yeah, just eat well, everything. To, oh, you know, we should actually make all of our aliases. Chad at FearTheBoot.com. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so Dan just at FearTheBoot.com is just an alias for Chad at FearTheBoot.com. And, yeah. All right. So, at that point, I would call for so much scaly porn. So Wendell wrote, thanks, Chad. It struck me as something Dan might appreciate based on some of his previous comments and past episodes. I'll tell you here and you can see what you all think. Uh, the topic is playing to genre, themes, and moods of an intellectual property or game. Like right. Star Wars, Doctor Who, Star yeah. Trek, Lord and, of the Rings. And, it's, I, yeah. and let's keep in mind, though, here, we're also talking about not just a particular IP, it could be, but it's also the themes, moods, and, as he put it, genre of the games. Hmm. All right, so he goes on to say, what does this mean? This means that everyone in the group agrees to create characters and play in a way that supports the feel of the RPG's intellectual property or whatever is laid out during the social contract discussion at the very beginning of game prep. Basically, if it wouldn't happen in the IP, and you can insert their genre, mood, whatever, then it shouldn't happen in the game. Example, if we're playing Star Wars based on the feel of the original three movies, it's a heroic game. Jedis don't murder people, though they could kill them given a good reason. Player characters should take threats seriously. You don't laugh at and slap Darth Vader. (laughs) Skip a few lines out here. says, why? Rather than playing your characters in a chaotic mix of styles... This can be a great deal of fun with an invested group. I've noticed a lot of pushback against this style, and this was the first mm. thing that came to my mind, of gaming in the community. Many players seem to think this is asking far too much of them. I've been told that in this situation... The, those players are demonstrably wrong. The GM or the player who suggested it may as well, quote-unquote, write their own novel, as some believe that this means taking away all player agency and scripting responses. It's a ridiculous accusation that applies any restrictions whatsoever is the same as removing all player agency, which is nonsense. We're playing a high seas pirate game in the age of sale, except Joe over here is playing an alien from Mars. I don't think that telling Joe to play a damn pirate instead of an alien from Mars is asking too much of Joe in that situation. Well, getting down to one of the examples, you don't laugh at and slap Darth Vader. That is a setting thing. Darth Vader is known to be scary in that setting. Yeah. You're playing in that setting. You acknowledge that the vast majority of the universe is scared of this one person. Right. And just because you're a player character, maybe you have a character, but there's a reason why they're not scared of him. Maybe they don't know. But that should be defined because this is a truth of that setting. This is a scary guy. And let's say, let's take the Darth Vader example a little bit further, too. Let's say you're playing a character from some backward, and they just don't know. They don't know. They're, they're like that one officer who gave some lip to Vader and was like, you know, oh, your religion, blah, blah, blah. I don't even believe in you, you know, whatever. And then they, you know, force choked him. And that sort of situation happens. The response from the player cannot be, well, GM, you didn't even roll any dice for that. Yeah, that's a railroad. That's a railroad. How dare you do that? Uh, no, that that is the wrong response. Well, and I think... It's- there's a phrase he hit on that 
is why I don't believe this is automatically some kind of railroading or complete removal of agency. And I think it could be, and we'll talk about that. But the reason I don't think it is automatically that is because we do this in every game we play. And I'm sure that every person listening has been in a game where everyone in the group but one person is playing the same game. Mm-hmm. And somebody else is clearly playing a different game. I can give you a real world example. Mm-hmm. I ran a Star Trek game. This was years back. Everyone was playing Federation officers. Mm-hmm. All right. Set in the original movie era. So the red and black mm-hmm. uniforms. And everybody was playing according to that general trope. They were playing the sort of person you would expect to find on a starship. Sure. There was diversity of character type. And of ways of thinking and things like that. But well, hell, that's part of the genre right there. Sure. Yeah. But they still all assented mm-hmm. to a military structure. They assented to the prime directive. They assented to the basic principles that the Federation and Starfleet are founded upon. Except one guy <laughs> who was playing a Vulcan who had rejected the path of logic, Kalina or whatever it's sure. called. It had, there are characters like that in the sure. thing. And had serious rage problems. Like, this was how the character was written. It wasn't the player. Mm-hmm. I mean, the player chose this, but the player yeah. wasn't raging out the table. But he wrote a character who had serious anger problems, serious issues with authority. I mean, this guy was a basket case who probably should have been institutionalized. Right. Certainly, if not that, at least in heavy outpatient care. Why was he a Starfleet officer? How, yeah, how did he pass any of the psych exams to become a Starfleet officer? I mean, Starfleet's diverse, not quite that diverse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's still a functioning military organization. Yeah. They have rules, they have principles, they have doctrines, and this guy was off playing his own game. Now, it's telling him you can't play that, which, by the way... You can't play that. <laughs> is that the same as taking away the totality of player agency? And I don't think it's anywhere close. Does I, it- I think it is taking away player agency if the player believes in the greatest lie in role-playing. You can play anything you want. Exactly. Uh, you yeah. can't play anything you yeah. want. The bottom line is, I will tend to say yes to just about anything and find a way to make it work. But if you're creating a character... That is going to take away from the story for everyone else at the table. Yeah. And not just because it doesn't fit with the feel or theme. Yeah. And not just the story, like not the plot A to plot B to plot C. Right. Like, like I don't want to throw the ring in the volcano. It's a dumb idea. I want to go that way. That's a different problem. It's you're playing Lord of the Rings and you are playing a guy who rejects magic, totally believes in science and is like making a car. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like this isn't the you're, same game. Yeah, you're playing the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court right. for anyone who knows their classics. You, you are playing a guy or for Ash in Evil you, Dead. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And it, and those are fine for a narrative where somebody is writing every person around, mm-hmm. and they are the focus of it. Yeah, well, that's it, the problem. A role playing game, no one person is the focus. Well, and that's the thing. Like Connecticut Yankee, Ash, that sort of thing on the Lord of the Rings example, totally legit in those stories but when everybody sits down at the table and says we're playing lord of the rings i'm gonna be a hobbit i'm gonna be an elf and we're gonna go on this grand adventure and we're we're doing a hero's journey we start off as you know scared in the wild and then we rise to the occasion and and overcome great evil and then the other guy is like yeah i'm building a car and i've got a shotgun i mean it's the wrong story to to anyone who would 
say that, well, you can play anything, that there should be no limits player agency. If you were running a D&D game or a Pathfinder game, would you allow me to play a Star Trek officer with a phaser? And by the way, the reality of your world is that this whole thing is a holodeck malfunction. Right. But none of the other players are in on it. Or, heck, maybe the game master's not even in on it. Right. You know, every time you sit down to play a role-playing game, you are obviously accepting some kind of boundary, some kind of limitation. Now, on the opposite extreme of that, you get railroading. We'll we'll come back to that. I personally, when things like this happen, it's nice when the GM doesn't have to say no, because the other players look at the person and say, no, dude, you're f***ing up our story. Right. That's always nice when everyone else assists you with that. You don't have to be the mean old GM that says no (laughs) when other people at the table can actually speak their mind and say, I'm not feeling that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Wayne, I think you've hit something important there, which is when people sit down to play a role-playing game, they sign up for a particular experience. Now it is possible that in the execution of the game, the experience will change that people latch on NPCs. You didn't expect, or a serious game will get comedic, or a comedic game will get serious, and everyone at the table's on board with this. That's not an issue. You only fail at a role-playing game by not having fun, period, end of story. But if you sign up to play a Transformers game, there are certain presuppositions you're bringing to the table. There are certain presuppositions everyone is bringing to the table. They may not align perfectly, but they're certainly going to have some degree of overlap. We know that we're going to tell a story that's probably adventurous. It's certainly going to prominently feature robots in some kind of a conflict over energy or territory or some limited resource. These robot characters can transform. There's Once again, these are things that we're we're all basically agreeing upon. And and when the game master's laying this out, they're probably even going to state, well, I'm going with the Gen 1 continuity, or I'm going with the Marvel Comics continuity, or I'm going with Michael Bay's continuity, or whatever it is. And people then draw from that something more. Well, here's a little bit more about what I know I can expect from this game. And when one person by themselves hijacks that experience or derails that experience in a way that isn't just an issue of normal character agency, but they're writing something that is obviously and intentionally antithetical to the experience everyone else signed up for. Yeah. You're ruining their fun. You are taking away... I think you hit it on the head there. What they're doing is they're derailing it. So let's take Transformers. Everyone's playing a robot. They can transform. They might play Autobots. They might play Decepticons. Some of them are playing humans like Spike and, and sure, those yeah. sort of characters. Stuff's all totally legit. And, you know, there's different levels of technology. Maybe some of them are playing a Junkion and they, they're not quite there on the planetary scale. And they don't I really want to be a wizard. Them. Well, somebody says, okay, my character, I'm basically playing Conan the Barbarian. I am from a planet that has a primitive society, and I'm an, a sword-swinging barbarian. Well, from there, you are throwing the, the genre off the rails, and then your character is so weird. Now, Conan's not weird. Playing a barbarian is not weird in that setting and in that genre. It's very weird. And what happens is, and you said it, Dan, is that person ends up hijacking the game. Yeah. The game master... If they don't say no and they actually incorporate that player in and and give them the spotlight and stuff, has to bend reality so much to make it work, it really becomes about that barbarian. It's it's very reactive because now everything that happens in the plot that you throw out power level wise that determines the course of the setting 
you have to keep accommodating that right. outlier. Now, and I'm, so you instead of proactively writing a game or even interactively having the game, you are reacting yeah, to one now, person at the table. I, I will come back to the barbarian example, though, and give a counterpoint to my original point. You can make it work. But to make it work, the player has to be on board with the concept of, I'm out of place, I know I'm out of place, right. I'm working yeah. to make it work. And the example I'll give is Doctor Who. So Doctor Who, like especially old Doctor Who, like the more modern one, Doctor Who gets companions. The companions in the modern Doctor Who tend to be contemporary. They're the eyes of the audience. Yeah. Old yeah. Doctor I'm talking like black and white Doctor Who. You had a woman who was like from Victorian England, right? She's very proper. She's very educated. And she's very Victorian. His other companion was a screaming Highlander from like the 13th century, right? So if this is a role-playing game, and there is a Doctor Who role-playing game, if this was a role-playing game, you might say, well, what the hell? This really throws off a weird dynamic. I mean, granted, we're doing time travel and stuff, but the dynamic is so weird. But how they made it work is that Jamie, the character who was out of time, he was the old barbarian, not barbarian, but he was the old Scotsman with the kilt and the sword and all that sort of stuff. He was always trying to keep up. And he knew that he was a step behind and he admired the other companion and eventually through the story fell in love with her. And he did not really wear on his shoulder how different he was. And he made these plot points that the writers knew that he was out of place and they used that. And I think that, I mean, we're, we're making a lot of statements here about how this is a hard stop bad thing to do, is to play out of genre. And it is. Generally speaking, it is. But it can work. It just, you have to go in knowing you're out of place and working to make it work. Yeah, I go back to your original examples of a Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's mm-hmm. Court and Army of Darkness, Ash, things like that. And that's where I really see this typically happening is the game ends up around that one person. Mm -hmm. Those work because that is the main character. Yeah. And that's the focus. And then being out of place is the focus. And unless you have the other players at the table on board and the GM on the board, and everyone's acknowledging this character is out of place Mm -hmm. and not just hanging a lampshade on it. Right. Then it becomes, it tends to become their story. Well, they hijack it. They become the main character and you can't have a main character. Right. In a role playing game. It's just, that's an ensemble. Something that I would like to emphasize, because we're talking about these sort of exceptions to the rule is when we set this up, Wendell mentioned this. I love the phrase he used because it's one that we've used ourselves. It's the social contract. The issue here is not that you violate a genre. Mm -hmm. It could be, but that's not necessarily the issue. The issue is not that you violated an intellectual property. It could be, but it's not necessarily. The issue is when and only when you have violated the social contract the players have at the table. That if they sat down and said, we are going to play this type of game or this particular intellectual property or whatever, and they already in their minds have come up with a set of presuppositions of what that means, and you say no, against everyone else's wishes and against everyone else's interests in this game, I am going to play something completely contrary. And the problem is not first and foremost that you violated genre or IP or any of that. It's that genre or IP or whatever was 
part of the social contract mm-hmm. of the game. Now, this is one of the big reasons why I have never played a Lovecraft role-playing game and probably never will, because I don't like the idea of playing what we've always called a Richard Pryor game. <laughs> if you've not heard us use that phrase before, I'll link the clip in the show notes. There was a sketch on In Living Color back in the day when Living Color was still on of Richard Pryor. It was called Scared for No Reason. He just mm-hmm. goes into his kitchen. He's afraid of the milk and afraid of the cereal <laughs> and afraid of the refrigerator. I don't like playing games where I'm running in fear. If you put me in a Call of Cthulhu game, I'm telling you right now, as a player, my first goal is going to be to f*** these things up. And I don't mean as in ruin the story. I mean as in ruin the monsters. I'm looking for ways to kill them. With it, and it's completely wrong. Well, That's well, not how you yeah, play Lovecraft. Yeah, Lovecraft is about overcoming the monsters. And it is about winning. But... Where people really get hung up on, people have a legitimate problem and not want to play it, is it's about overcoming the monsters at enormous personal sacrifice to the point of you have an unplayable character. Death is preferred yeah you know and and, and there's a lot of people who don't like that right and, and i'm gonna it's be legit and i'm gonna want to be playing basically van helsing yeah you want to you yeah. don't want to defeat the evil you want to win yeah and that's 99 percent of role play and there. yeah I, yeah those are two very different things yeah. yes exactly and abraham van helsing does not fit right within he wins yeah he yeah. wins it's yeah same that you put ash in, ash in, wins yeah yes you could put ash in uh a Lovecraftian story. Oh, yeah. That's, the, well, I mean, technically speaking, Ash is in a Lovecraftian yeah, story, and he f***s it up. Yeah. Constantly. <laughs> he's just so dense right. that the insanity doesn't affect him. Yeah. Because he's just not there to begin with. And it, it would be, and that's why I won't do it. Because right. I know if I sat down at somebody's Lovecraft game, I would be playing completely mm-hmm. against the social contract that everyone else went into this game looking for. Yep. There is a bit of it is perfectly acceptable to not like a Lovecraft game for those reasons, and I wish more people would do what you do, of saying it ain't for me. And if I play it, yeah, I'm gonna f- it up. And well, and let's look for as an example of this at Lovecraft, what we'll call his extended universe, because when Lovecraft wrote his stuff, he open sourced it. Mm-hmm. He authorized and encouraged other people to add to his canon. There is a story that I believe was written while Lovecraft was still alive. And I could be wrong on the dates on this, but it goes way back. This is not a recent story. It goes way back where Cthulhu is killed. Mm-hmm. And Cthulhu is not killed at great cost. They drop an atomic bomb on him. Sure. I mean, Conan was part of the Lovecraft. Or uh, not Conan. Conan <laughs> was not part of the Lovecraft. Story. Howard was part of the Lovecraft circle. Yeah. And he, there's a lot of Lovecraftian elements in Conan. And you think Conan didn't win? Conan f***ing was a winner, man. Well, exactly. <laughs> and if I was playing a Lovecraft story, that's who I'd want to be. Is you want to be Conan. No, the bomber <laughs> pilot who drops a nuke on him and fixes the problem. Why not both? And, you know, <laughs> because because it's a violation of the social contract. <laughs> right. And I will tell you straight up, 99.999% of the time I have seen this, what's mm-hmm. really at work is that one person really doesn't want to play this game, yeah. but they don't want to be left out. Yeah. Well, another like thing, taking your girlfriend to a role-playing game. Yes. <laughs> so another thing that could happen, and I don't think this happens nearly as often as the one person doesn't really want to be in that game is a misunderstanding of the genre or a yeah. genre so broad that everyone comes up with their own idea. Yeah. And I w- particularly superheroes is a good example. 
Yeah. If I say I'm going to run a superhero game, Chad might be thinking The Dark Knight Returns versus you might be thinking Golden Age superheroes versus I might be thinking Silver Age. All of them are superheroes, but the characters don't mix and match. Yeah. Or if they do, if you do mix and match them, that's the story. That's like watching right, that it. Is that the story. is the story. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you have Chad wants to play Punisher and Dan wants to play Adam West Batman. Only if I can like whip out a lot of puns all the time, <laughs> which would go great with Adam West Batman. Yeah, it would. Those are my extreme examples on the two ends. That's Punisher's not actually extreme compared to a lot of characters, but is the one that people sure. would know. Those are my two extreme examples of those two don't work in the same story without the entire story being about those two. Chris Claremont Wolverine and Adam West Batman. Yeah. There's two things that just that point so much bub and so much chum that <laughs> would not freaking fit together yeah. at all. And and that I, could I will, be without anyone's fault. Yeah. Like I said, if you don't define, that's one thing when I do superheroes, I always go down to what is the core of the superhero setting we're looking at? You know, running uh, necessary evil. They're villains. They are willing to kill. That is those characters versus running noir superhero game. You're in the shadows, but you are not killers. You're not necessarily. Yeah, right. I mean, kill, killing is murder. You know, yeah, I mean, we had this in one of our D and D games years back, where we decided to play an evil game. We were mm-hmm. all going to play evil, or at least okay with evil, so mm-hmm. maybe neutral at best kind of characters, sure. and that worked until the first time, like one or two games in, that Narl kills somebody, goes into a blood frenzy, and eats part of the body, and one of the other players freaked out. It mm-hmm. was like, no, we're not going to do this anymore. We ought to be saving the day. And blah. Wait, wait. wait. Yeah. Okay. Well, we had that with Pat all the time. Yes, yeah, like you know, Pat. We would play bad. We played Blades in the Dark. We played bad guys. And we stole the serve for yeah. Blades in the Dark. He was like doing soup kitchens and orphanages. He's yep. a fucking gang man. Like, <laughs> I could not get them to do any. The only because he was the leader of the gang. Yeah. The only criminal activity I could ever actually convince them to do Horrible. was against. Well, was against other gangs. Oh, they like they would never hurt anyone who wasn't a bad guy okay and wayne i will that's why i said 99.9 and in once again in my experience it's almost always been the person doesn't want to play that game but i will throw out there i have seen two other scenarios one that you just described one that you just described which is that the person does not understand what's being played i've seen that in your transformers games at cons where somebody doesn't have the knowledge of the universe yeah. or, and doesn't know what the feel is. The, so they, they don't, don't know the genre or as you said, it's an overly broad genre and they don't know which type or subtype of that genre they're playing. The other one I've seen, and this is equally as dysfunctional as a person that doesn't want to be there is the person who wants a character who is singularly special. Mm. They have mm-hmm. to be going back several episodes, the bouse. They yeah. have to be the beautiful and unique snowflake. They have to be something else. You know, they don't want to just be normal. And their definition of making a character interesting is not, well, I've got a neat personality or neat background. It's, I'm a raging Vulcan Hmm. with serious anger issues Hmm. who, quite frankly, should be in Arkham Asylum, not on a starship. I've also seen that in a different way, presented in a different way, too where the group makes a character and if I'm lucky, I get a couple of sentences or usually what happens is I'm just told what their character is and what they're like. Sometimes 
I don't even know what their character is or like, and I just find out through them playing it. But then I have one person who hands me 30 pages of yep. write-up. Well, and looking back at the group throughout the history, some of them don't know what the character's like right. until they play it. Yeah. You know, that was a big one for Pat of, he never knew what his character's voice was until he started playing it. The Blades in the Dark game, yeah. he went in go, I'm going to be a gang leader, I'm going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And his inherent nature led him to... Well, I'm going to win people over by making things look better because right. I want it to look better. Why so, beat people up when we could, you know, spend some of this money and, you know, make streetlights for them? Let, make let me, it safer. Let me use as a positive <laughs> example a Star Wars game that I played in some years back. I was playing an Imperial officer. I borrowed from TIE Fighter. He was one of the circles of the Emperor or whatever. You know, he was... The secret tattoo that takes up your entire forearm and glows. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, and in this game it didn't glow. But... He was an Imperial officer, and specifically his job was he was hunting down and killing rogue force users. Mm. The way that, and he hated force users. And I, the way I wrote this character's backstory was that. Was he a rage Vulcan? Yes, he was. No, actually, he wasn't. <laughs> it was you the whole time. He, he, was, he was really focused on order. It was the system's not perfect. He saw the flaws of the Empire, but at least we're not being run by a theocracy. We don't have all these weird political maneuverings going on. We don't have this corrupt republic. We don't have a completely non-governmental church body, the Jedi, Mm. effectively vetoing everything and running the show anyway. Well, and people in the universe had no idea that their emperor was a Sith Lord. Yes, because Palpatine hit his powers. Now, Vader didn't, but Palpatine hit his powers. And his take on that was that Palpatine is not necessarily a nice guy. But at least the trains run on time (laughs) and Vader probably shouldn't be there, but he's Palpatine's freak on a leash. Everyone has their vices, but deep down, he despised a lot of things about the Empire. But in the time that he encountered Vader, which did happen in one of the games, though it was his inbuilt character that he dislikes Mm -hmm. force users and did not like Vader being around, and didn't like that more brutal aspect of Imperial rule, he showed a healthy respect for Vader. He at least acknowledged that Vader is somewhere in the chain of command. He acknowledged that Vader is a being of great power. He acknowledged that Vader, whether he liked it or not, was Palpatine's pet and therefore required deference. So I kept that character still, even though I had full agency, Mm -hmm. I still kept that character thematically within what the people at the table had signed up to play. Right. You know, I didn't decide that, well, the moment I learned there were any force users in the empire, suddenly now it's going to turn into him being the lone revolutionary while everyone else is still an imperial loyalist. Mm-hmm. You know, I still kept it down in there, but I had agency within the character. You can weaponize this. People can be real dicks with this. I'm not going to say it can't happen. There are GMs and there are players who will turn this into a club. And I don't mean club as in like we all belong. I mean club as in like the blunt weapon, Mm. where you will sit down to play a game and everything you do, they will try and play a trump card of either doing a setting lawyering on you and say, well, your character's individuality just goes ever so slightly against the grain of what's written in some obscure book and therefore you can't do it. You know, your character would never ever do that. They just play that on you at every turn. The game master has a novel in their head they're trying to tell, or the GM just saw 
a movie they really liked and effectively wants you to replay it for him or her, which I've seen happen, this can go to a wrong extreme. I mean, there's a difference between a social contract that is there to set boundaries and rules for everyone's mutual enjoyment versus being an asshole. Right. Uh, let's think about a tennis game. There are boundary lines and there's a net and there's rules for how this game is played. And if you start rolling those back too far, eventually it's just nonsense. Well, here, here's so how I... Nobody's playing tennis, but you can also have somebody who is being just such a asshole about everything that you're not enjoying the game anymore. Well, here's how I think of it. Like, it's a social contract. I mean, it's, it's a metaphorical piece of paper with metaphorical rules on it that may not even be spoken out loud that we all agree to. It works because we all agree to it. It doesn't work because a game master rolls it up and starts hitting people with it. Or another player. Or another player. And it only works too. because we are all agreeing to it, not because we're all being bludgeoned with yeah, it. So going back to... That particular example of somebody walks up, laughs at, and slaps Vader, or wouldn't you hurt your hand? I mean, is, <laughs> I would think that so. face mask That's... they got. I mean, or let's say it's a D and D game, and the... you also have to jump. He's like seven yeah. feet taller. Yeah, say it's a D and D game, and one of the gods comes down in front of you, and your player walks up and slaps it mm-hmm. what on would... the ass. Yeah, what would each of you do in that situation? Because I had something like that happen in game, and I didn't do the right reaction to it. I made the PC bend over backwards to not just outright kill the player. Well, that, that's the problem, is if people don't play within those boundaries, let's look at the recourses you have. Okay, if it's a slight issue, or the person is otherwise reasonable, or the person is playing in good faith and just isn't on the same page, they don't know the genre, or they don't get what everyone else is trying to do, they didn't understand the contract. Okay, let's go back to this is a piece of paper. They didn't understand the legalese or whatever metaphor you want to use here. You can sit down and educate the person. You can say, okay, here's maybe a couple of chapters from one book that might get you kind of where we're at. Here's two or three movies you can watch. Here's some ideas. Hey, that one thing you did is a little out of line. And you can reason with the person. The other options you have in terms of remediation, they start to get game destroyed. And That's why, Wayne, I have found myself in what you just described, those same shoes many times, where I have to start to break the contract to avoid destroying the game. So somebody walks up in a D&D game and shows absolutely not even the slightest, healthiest fear of or respect for a god incarnate. Okay, That they know is a god. That they know know is a god incarnate. Yeah, this is not angels on assignment or whatever. This is somebody who's out there. They know. Angels in the outfield. Yeah, and they walk up... Angels interfering in an otherwise fair baseball game. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they walk out there, and they just show absolutely no respect. They just, you know, whatever. What's my options at this point? I will tell you guys... I can obliterate that character, but then if the other characters respond, now this becomes a TPK, I can completely take apart the group template by destroying select characters. As a game master, you have a tool in your toolbox. This tool, I call it... Whoa, timeout. <laughs> and it is a great tool. So the god comes down, or Vader, or whoever comes down, and they slap him on the ass. Whoa, timeout there. You know this is a god, right? Oh, yeah, man, it's awesome. And you know that they will disintegrate you, and you don't get to roll dice, and I won't roll dice, and we'll just have a ceremonial burning of your character sheet, right? Are you cool with that? 
because that's where this is going. But, you know. Well, and sometimes it is that cut and dry, but let me go back to my angry Vulcan. Mm-hmm. What am well, I supposed to do about that? I mean, say no in the first place. Okay, unfortunately, but we're past that. That's yeah, well, yes. that train left the station. One, we we're past that, and two, that's not how the character was pitched to me. Right. The way right. the character was pitched to me was they were playing a Vulcan. Was who, a tall Danny DeVito with pointy ears? Who had simply <laughs> ditched the? Now you're thinking of Danny DeVito as a Vulcan. You actually did make me picture that. And I have no <laughs> idea what to make of it. it. It's like this weird dwarf. Yeah, it's like a dwarf elf uh-huh. sort of. Ma- I don't. And you'd watch that movie. It's awesome. You know, I would. <laughs> It's got to be better than Discovery, so sure. (laughs) The character was pitched to me as a Vulcan who had simply rejected the path of logic Mm -hmm. and had embraced his emotions. Okay. Yeah. I had no problem with that. There was a perfectly capable character in one of the movies that That, was that character. Yes, and there's actually been a couple of them. Right. And, I mean, heck, in Enterprise, whether you like the series or not, there was a whole chain of episodes dedicated to that. And they come, the they come yeah. up again in almost every Star Trek series, you know, one or more Vulcans who has rejected the path of logic. That's what I thought I was getting into. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize this was going to be a guy who needs to be in a psych ward. Now, as a game master, what do I do about it? Because I'm not playing the captain. Yeah. There's no God or Darth Vader or whatever that's going to disintegrate this guy for being a jackass. Oh, well, was one of the other players a captain? Yes. I probably would have pulled that player aside. The player was not, they were kind of intimidated because they were fairly new to role playing and right. they were kind of intimidated like, well, if I throw this guy in the brig, is this going to cause table side drama? Right. He's, he's out of the game for how long? And if he comes out of the brig and does it again, well, then what? I, I think there's a bunch of people yelling at the speakers right now saying, well, you just stop the game and have a have it out with him. Just tell him and blah, blah, blah. And it, while I agree with that logic on a basic level, it never works out that way. Because that sort of thing, the Rage Vulcan, you're talking about the end game here. You're talking about like, okay, we're at the table. We've been playing. This guy's doing the Rage Vulcan thing. Everybody's uncomfortable. We're trying to figure out how to deal with it. What we're not talking about is that the slow burn lead up to this, where I would imagine he came on pretty normal. He didn't come out the gate like punching people in the face. You are correct. And as time went on, it's like, oh, well, that's a little weirder. Hmm. Man, he is kind of turning it up yeah. a little high. It was definitely and, boiling. Oh wait, yeah, wow, that that's a little odd. But you know, maybe he'll back it down because he took it up and things can back down. Well, now you're four or five games in, things are established. The party's established. Dynamics are established. Even as an experienced role player, if I was playing the captain, and it's like, okay, this guy's going crazy. I should put him in the brig and order the medical examiner to do a psychic eval on him. That will not play well in any group. I've ever been in. And on top of that, even if it does play well, you've gone right back to something that we talked about. You have now made the game about that person. Yeah. This person's evaluation, rehabilitation, attitude adjustment. Well, it's Star Trek medical drama and about one person. uh, Yeah, specifically about one person. And it's about them spending a lot of time in the captain's office being Mm -hmm. given detention. I mean, I don't even you know Star Trek Next Gen had whole episodes where people with trouble on the ship talked to Counselor Troy about their troubles as sort of the A-B plot. And those were really boring episodes. Well, and even the <laughs> ones that were good, it's not like you had the rest of the cast sitting around the edges of the set thinking their lines were about to come up. Right. They, they knew in advance what this episode yeah. was about and they didn't show up for filming. So I don't know what I would do in that level where it's you're not dealing with like a God or something Mm -hmm. ridiculously powerful or Vader. But I do know going forward, there has to be a consequence. 
Mm-hmm. And I think like if it were a God, one of the ways I would deal with it would be two things come to mind. Either, okay, you're tossed across the field and you're unconscious. Now he looks at the other players. Okay, now are you going to be reasonable? Mm-hmm. Or you know, when you're dealing with a some sort of superpower, you know, frozen. That player is now frozen in time while he's talking to the other ones. Yeah. The point is, Spike. you're putting the player on timeout. Yeah. Yeah. So you can bring the other players well, in and letting the player see that that behavior I, isn't and acceptable. That, that is a good inversion of it because instead of giving that player more attention or more spotlight, you're giving them less. Yep. And so it is a great way. It's the same way you handle a, a little kid or a dog, you know, is if they're doing something to act out to get attention. One of the best ways to counter is to stop giving that behavior attention. And that's easy to do with something ridiculously superpowered, but not so easy in the situation you described. I'll give people a Game Master tip here, too. You know, the freezing them in time, knocking them across the field and stuff, great. All that do it, absolutely. But a subtle way of doing it, because sometimes you have, I don't want to say problem players, sometimes people have a bad day. And so sometimes a player is doing something that's out of genre, out of story, out of character, out of whatever. Maybe they're getting mad. Maybe the scene isn't right. And you don't have to smack them. I don't know about you, but my players really like to scatter to the four winds, and I'm always hurting cats to get them back together. You switch the spotlight. There's a problem scene, and a person, not the character, the person is getting problematic. Yeah. Say, okay, good point. Now we're going to switch over to these guys. You put them in timeout. Yeah, <laughs> but you didn't punish them because maybe it didn't call for it. But you know, people get their dander up, yeah, and they need like fifteen well, minutes and, to calm yeah. down. And one thing that you do that I like that I've seen you do before is the NPCs will subtly call them out and challenge them on things. Yeah, you know, if you just have the NPC come up and say you're being an asshole, now it's become a confrontation. Mm-hmm. But if the NPCs subtly make comments about it then it starts to kind of sink in a little bit more than that. It's not the immediate confrontation because people will get defensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, let's take our Skies of Glass game as a positive example. Skies of Glass has a definite intended feel to it. Mm-hmm. It's brutal, resource scarcity, high lethality, so on and so forth. Yeah, there's there are tires anywhere in that land. <laughs> <laughs> you guys step out of line. There's no giant god that's going to come down and smack you. There's, the setting itself will resolve mm-hmm. the problem. It's designed that way because that, that's part of how Skies of Glass plays. When people sit down at the table and they sign up for the social contract and play in Skies of Glass, presumably they know that. If they don't know that, then I cut them some slack while they figure it out and let the other players kind of lead by example and things like that. But do either of you feel like you have been robbed of player agency? Not at all. I mean, and this is what I'll go to. The only time I feel robbed of player agency is not by you, but by the rules. But because my current character is so on the forefront yeah. of action that he gets knocked out yes. a lot. <laughs> so. I know. In fact, I'm, I'm trying to figure out ways to deal with this because of the fact that it happened again. Right. But, <laughs> and it turns into a medical drama. But it, that's no one's fault. It's just how it is right and, and, and it's no, how i play it right and that's that's something i need to figure yeah. out in terms of how i want to deal with this as, as a game master but you can play by the rules of a game and still be playing the game mm-hmm. i i think this is a real false dichotomy for or false dilemma if you prefer for some people to say that either there is total 
chaining of the player or there is complete just right. willy-nilly chaos. I mean, I'll go back to my sports ball metaphors, whether it's tennis or baseball or any of those things. Players come on the field with an understanding that there are certain rules, certain culture, certain mm-hmm. expectations, so on and so forth. And if you want to do well in this game and you want everybody to have a good time, you play according to those. And if you violate those, then you are upsetting the balance for everyone that is present. But that doesn't mean, therefore, the players can't come on the field and make their own choices and play according to their own ability and have their own style and have their own freedom of decision. It doesn't work like that. It's not Mm -hmm. like they go out there and suddenly the team's coach flips on a chip in the back of their neck and remote controls them. Not yet. (laughs) So I look at it this way. I've always looked at a game as being a setting and then a role system. Yes, some games are a good blend of that. Some games you can completely separate those two. No one is going to complain that in a Skies of Glass game, they can't flap their arms and start flying through the sky. Because the rules of the game that you've agreed to play to say... There's no superpowers. There's right. no, nothing like that. Radiation doesn't make you a superhero. It yet, just kills you slowly, right. horribly. Yet the setting of the game has its own rules of you don't have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. You against an army isn't going to happen in a that setting. So why do people have that same, I'm being railroaded because I can't fight five people at the same time. Yeah. When Who are these people anyway? You yeah. know? Well, I mean, I've... I've <laughs> I've played with them. I mean, I have played with people where they either have in mind a very, very extreme view Mm -hmm. of what gaming is, where they want complete social freedom, period. That if you step in at any moment and say, hey, that's not really how people in this setting function. They believe the greatest lie in role-playing. Yeah, they can play anything they want. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, these people have been, whether momentarily or by personality in general, antisocial. Mm-hmm. They are, or at least exhibiting antisocial tendencies, where they are willfully not getting along with the table dynamic. And they feel any attempt at all to corral them back in. Any consequence they pay is somehow not a punishment of violating the social contract, that somehow it is punishing them for free thought and self-expression. Yeah. And maybe the difference is that a setting doesn't have the rules written down where you can just reference them like a rule system does. But that's definitely something I I have never seen a player look at the rule system and say, because you're telling me to follow the rules, you're you know limiting my freedom. But they will always do that with a setting when a setting has its own rules. Yeah, They're just not written down. So, Wendell, it was a good topic, and I am right there along with you in that I think it is important for people, and this goes back to, I really do believe that the vast majority of problems with most role-playing games come from a failure of prep before the game. That, you know, people don't get their ducks in a row correctly. They don't set up the game for success. And obviously games can and do go off the rails for unexpected reasons midway through. But most failures I have seen in games stem from either the failure to do game prep or doing game prep incorrectly. And part of that, I believe, is for everyone at the table to lay out a social contract to say, look, all right, I'm not just going to run Lovecraft. I want you to understand that I'm going to run it in the theme of Lovecraft 
And if you don't know what that means, ask me and I'll explain it. Or maybe here's a little bit of selective reading that you can mm-hmm. flip through while you're on the toilet. Or or maybe when the first couple of games, play your character at a one or a two where you usually play it at six to an eight. Yeah. And then after a couple of games, when you get your sea legs, start cranking and, it and, up. You know, once you start to understand what that is. But if someone at the table has a problem with that social contract, they're like, you know what? I don't want to play a Lovecraft game. I want to take my Tommy gun and fight back and not mm-hmm. end up mentally scarred for doing it. Express that at session zero. Right. At which yeah. point, you know, the game master can say, okay, maybe we can make that work or no, that's not what we're playing. Yeah. And, and we need to either play something else or maybe it'd be best if you just sat this game out. And you specifically said game shot. You specifically said game master. I keep going back to more so lately than ever before. You are a group of people gathered together to play a game. You are a team working together. friends. Yeah. A team, your friends, you're working together for a goal. It shouldn't just be the game master. Get everybody on board because when everybody agrees to the goal and the goal is to have a good time, a fun time playing the game. One person wants to do the Tommy gun. It doesn't have to be just that one person or just the GM that makes it work. Get everyone on board with it and it can work. This is why I love collaborative world building because they set that tone. I might have an idea. I might have this like baseline foundation they can build off of, but sure. when there's that collaboration, they set the tone, then I run with the tone and run the game off of that. On the flip side, if you tell people, look, we're going to play a Star Wars game, everyone show up with your character, we're going to game on Thursday, and it devolves into a total <laughs> show. <laughs> I'm whole, playing Doctor Who. <laughs> I think that whole table's pretty much to blame. Yeah. I mean, if, if you did not lay out anything in terms of what the <laughs> oh you said star were. wars yeah. well this klingon ain't gonna work <laughs> and it always shocks me because i never did that kind of gaming how many groups particularly with D? oh yeah they i see it all the time show up with your character pre-made your background pre-written just sit down and somehow this is going to work and it doesn't well yeah i'm playing the lawful evil dark elf blood thief and, oh, we're all paladins. Whoops. All right. So thank you again, Wendell, for sending that in. It was a, a great topic. Uh, once again, check the show notes for a link to Fear the Boots Discord, which also has stuff on the Destiny 2 clan. Yeah. Uh, the link to the Kickstarter for Jason Burke's project, Itty Bitty Writing Space. He's a bad hombre. He is. He's a bad hombre, and he's also a good hombre at the same time. He's a really great guy. And uh, beyond that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2019. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.